The Bank Next Fintech podcast is produced in association with software technology company Backbase. Hello and welcome to the Bank Next Fintech podcast. I'm Sean Weston. Today I'm talking to Travis Dulaney, CEO, CTO and co-founder of Push Payments which is described as being the only fully compliant, scalable, secure, easy to use, intelligent and true real-time payments platform in the world. Welcome to the show, Travis. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for inviting us. That's quite a wordy description. I almost run out of breath. (laughs) It is a a lofty one at that. (laughs) You had a good copywriter, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) So there are many many countries in the world with real-time payment systems in the public domain. How would you back up these claims then? So, you know, that's the thing. Just what you said was um, really the differentiating aspect there. Many countries have real-time payments. Uh, You know, real-time payments, faster payments, instant payments, whatever you want to call it, uh, has really been evolving over the last eight years or so. Uh, The U.S. is really late to the game in this situation and really largely to to the complexity here in the U.S. and in the financial systems. But in other countries, there's different evolutions of that, right? So um, connecting to another country's uh, system and what they're doing today is um, not as as hard. Uh, The U.S. is actually a a lot more complicated to do that, which is where we started and where we uh, approach. So my point is, is that we're connected to all of them, um, allowing for um, the distribution of funds uh, and really almost acting as a switch for our customers. Okay, can you tell me more about that complexity in the U.S. then? I'm sure there's a lot of people who who, uh, who don't know exactly what you mean there. Uh, where's that complexity come from? Well, a host of things, really. I mean, aside from size and just sheer volume of financial institutions, and we have over 8,000 financial institutions in the U.S., and, and they're kind of broken into three tiers, small, medium, and large, if you will, community banks, regional, and large banks. And so each of those have a different mindset and different approach to their banking um, uh, business, if you will. Um, so that's that's part of it. The other side is is the regulatory framework here in the U.S. And last but not least, it's really our technology and the legacy. You know, this is one situation where um, our our maturity as a economic um, society in the U.S. is actually our Achilles heel in this case. That's an interesting point of view, actually. I didn't expect you to say the technology side of things. Well, you know, you have to realize that still today we have AS400s and mainframes being run in the banking system, in the banking world. Um, There's a reason why Cobalt programmers are coming back as a language, simply because there's so many old school payment switches out there. There's so many old ATM networks that need maintenance and somebody's got to do the work. Well, absolutely. You've got quite an extensive record of working in the payments industry, and I, I understand the team behind Push Payments are also experienced payment professionals. It must feel quite exciting to be uh, breaking ground in real-time payments after all of this time. 
You have no idea. Boy, have you really <laughs> just hit the nail on the head. You know, being a payment veteran, I've been in this business, it feels like my entire life. Uh, I got in early on uh, in around 90, um, 1998 uh, and really in the beginning of prepaid when prepaid was just kicking off and the idea of gift cards and open loop branded prepaid cards came into the marketplace. So I've been around for a long time, done a lot of different things, which has given um, myself a lot of well-rounded experience and understanding how the whole ecosystem works. And and so is my co-founder and our team. Our team has a potpourri of, of experiences across banking, payment systems, uh, you know, everything from Amex to Wells Fargo to uh, to, you know, startups for that matter, like Samsung and LoopPay. Not Samsung, it's not a startup, but LoopPay was sold to Samsung. Yeah, I love that description, a potpourri of, of, of experience as well. I love that. Never heard that before. <laughs> well, I, one thing I can promise you is uh, I am full, full of those type of analogies. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they, uh, uh, my team picks at me all the time for that. Well, your experience smells good, so, so that's pretty good. So, so we've already touched on, on, you know, why it has taken so long to get to this, this point, this breakthrough, and, and that you've talked about technology. Um, is business culture also a part of it? Is it, is it in the mix? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I would say that that is really the driving factor. You know, a lot of times you have, uh, items like a demand, um, that might be driving something. It could be antiquated technology, but you know, the, there's also the the adage that hey, if it's not broken, don't fix it, and that's what it's been for years around the technology side. So you know, I see what's really moved the needle and what's really changing things. Uh, some would call it the fintech era, if you will. You know, London's called fintech and tech longer before anybody else, and uh, and and that that term really caught on. I mean, there was always a identification. There used to be a fintech 100, still is, um, but but it wasn't as pronounced as it is today. And and so really, what what's changed? I actually go back to the start of Bitcoin. To be honest with you, when when cryptocurrency started coming to the marketplace and people looking at it. And a lot of times there wasn't a lot of uh, attention paid to Bitcoin and, and that type of, of, we'll call it a, a way to pay, you know, a tender. And um, it made people think differently. It made people go, oh, there could be something different. You know, the first innovator of digital currency uh, like that in the market that's recognizable is actually PayPal. Their, they, their original mission was to create a, a cryptocurrency. Uh, and so this evolution of Bitcoin after that and then distributed a ledger after, you know, which is really the, the blockchain aspect of the back end of, of Bitcoin, I think allowed people to go, well, let's open our minds a little bit and consider other options. So once you started doing that, then you started seeing new ways of doing things. It opened it up to everyone. And so that's where the rush of fintech came in that allowed for bankers and, and people that were normally on the more conservative side to say, hey, maybe there is a better way. And so, you know, then at first it was contentious a little bit. You know, the messages were fintechs were fighting with banks and, um, you know, and now the message is all oh, this, uh, everybody partner because they yeah, realize together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's kind of a funny evolution as I watch it because, 
I have a good friend of mine that is very successful in Silicon Valley and was on his third startup, multimillionaire before he's 30 type of thing. And he got into payments and we were sitting there talking one day and uh, we were exploring working together. And he was talking about, oh, you know, we know what we're doing. We're coders. We know this stuff better than anybody. This, you know, I'm comfortable. I, I know how to run a company, blah, 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 blah. And then he stopped and paused. He looked at me and goes, this blank is hard. <laughs> and, and I started laughing, you know, especially as a, vet, a veteran. You know, this is not about the technology. It never has been. You know, I, I got asked a question yesterday, you know, how much is technology important? It really isn't. It's important to be um, there. And we, we are extremely uh, innovative in our approach, but more not for the sake of being a cool technology, but more for the sake of the things that are important, security. Uh, compliance and regulatory frameworks that allow auditors to see things, you know, transparency. Um, all those things are really what's important. You know, they, they go back to it's never the technology that's important. It's what it can do for you. And so that's really the way we we see that. Right. So the it even goes back to that business culture aspect of things. Right. It's it, the business had to be ready for it and accept it. But now we're in a state of really redesigning what's what's right you know and i'm part of the u.s uh, federal reserves faster payment task force which is part of uh, this initiative you know and when the government's behind you to be able to support and create a new ecosystem and really as they call it a brand new rail um and when you look at the digitalization of all payment transactions and really everything we do today, mix that with instant gratification and on-demand world that we live, uh, it's almost like why hasn't this happened yet, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and security, you really touched on it there, excuse me. <clears throat> it's a real concern for everybody, isn't it? What's your position on how security and real-time payments go hand in hand? It's, it's an absolute must, um, you know, I've been asked a number of times separate about security. You know, what about fraud? What about, um, you know, how are you going to manage these things? And, you know, and, and I guess being in the payments world this long, I don't I don't always I never thought about it separately. It was always just kind of in the framework. It's just how you think. You know, you I'm a product guy at, at heart. I build things. I build companies, products, services. And so when you do that, you know, if a carpenter goes to build a house and they don't bring the nails, then that's kind of a problem, right? So mm. security should be part of the framework. It's not a bolt-on. It's not an add-on. It's a frame of mind. You have to be able to structure an architect from the ground up in order to really create a better uh, system. And that's what we've done. You know, it's, it's about understanding the bad guy, right? Uh, and, you know, why do payment companies get hacked and attacked? Well, as the bank robber once said, because that's where the money's at. <laughs> right? So yeah. so if you take, um, you know, if you take a different approach and there's no single point, there's no centralization, there's no way to find that bank, then what do you do? You find you go to something else. Right. So. So that's part of our, uh, you know, way we look at things. We don't, uh, we, 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 from the beginning, 
the way we architect the framework, the way it's designed, the who we work with, um, all these factors come into play. And and with real-time payments and instant payments, if you don't, uh, then it's just a matter of time for you because somebody's going to um, really you know, take you out simply because of fear of security. I mean, think yeah. about yeah. – I use a, an analogy uh, that – when you're real-time payments, it's like handing somebody a machine gun that shoots money, right? <laughs> you better know who you're handing it to, right? So um, that's really what we do a lot, and that's what is very important in this world um, of a new age is, A, know who you're, who's sending it and who's sending it and who they're sending it to, right? So businesses, individuals, whatever the case may be, you need to validate that. So once you think about that, What's the next logical item? And there's a big movement around this. And that's yeah. identity management. We have to be able in the digital world to validate who that person is on the other side of that technical code. Because you don't see them. I don't see them. And so, you know, now identity theft has been a, an item for years. Why do you think that is? Why do you see not a lot of actually fraud that happens as a result of identity theft. Some of it you do, some of you don't. But think about holding all that data, right? So identity, yeah. when you're in the virtual world, you have to find ways, better ways, to validate who that individual is. And that it's... Well, that brings... Uh, I'm sorry, that brings me to my next question, actually, is, mm -hmm. is uh, the other side of the coin is convincing people of the benefits of retail real-time payments but also of doing things digitally where the perception of security is lower. So how difficult is it for people to accept the benefits of real-time payments? Is it a hard sell in the U.S.? You know, I would argue that they already expect it already. It's not, a, it's not an adoption thing for real-time payments. Now, in other countries, I would agree that there is more of an adoption issue. Uh, in the EU, there's absolute adoption issue. There's... And other countries are adoption. In the U.S., I would say just the opposite, actually, uh, because they already expect everything to happen instantly. You know, between the Venmos and, and all the marketing that we've done to make the consumer think that everything happens at a drop of a hat, even though there's a thousand mice running on hamster wheels, um, getting the work done behind the scenes. So, you know, that's what's happened over the last five years or so is we've done such a good job at pushing the user experience and taking out all the details of how things work and just making it easy for the user. You know, it's that millennial move, uh, which is fine, but, you know, we still have an infrastructure. We have to catch up to that. So it's at least in the U.S., it's not a consumer adoption thing. You know, and in areas like Africa and India, it's more of a necessity thing because they don't actually trust the old way, the banking side. So plus there's a access aspect to, you know, African India, where a mobile phone is a lot more accessible than a bank. You're listening to the Bank Next FinTech podcast. Well, let's, let's move uh, on a little bit to, um, I read that Will Graylin recently joined uh, Push Payments. And for those who don't know him, can you provide some background? Absolutely. Uh, Will is uh, just an amazing individual. Uh, he's a good friend of mine that we've known each other in the industry for years. And, and <clears throat> you know, it, it, was, uh, it was an accident, actually, how 
how that worked out. I was just calling him for advice. And next thing I know, he was uh, interested and uh, being part of our board and so forth. Um, you know, good story. But Will is is basically a five times successful entrepreneur. Uh, he's he's. <laughs> This sounds almost fake. The, the guy was a nuclear submarine captain. Um, he's a graduate from MIT. Um, he, he's got these accolades that's unbelievable as far as his accomplishments, um, not only just as any individual, but uh, within the payment industry. So uh, he was part of Rome back in the day when, before Angelica took it over and uh, he's, uh, he uh, sold it to them. And then he also created and co-founded uh, uh, Lupe, which was uh, acquired by Samsung, I think uh, a year and a half ago or so, um, uh, became Sun Samsung Pay. Yeah, right? ab absolutely. Yeah. So that's why you can use your Samsung Pay wallet and go to any POS device. It doesn't have to uh, have a reader, an NFC reader. So, so that's um, that that was the Lupe contribution, if you will. So okay. Will has been a a. Uh, just a real wonderful support function for us and a lot of um, mentors at that respect to uh, the gentleman is, is just been there, done that, if you know what I mean. Right. And so, uh, and a proven track record of that was, was a wonderful item to, And I, I'm honored to be uh, um, gratiated by his uh, experience. Yeah. Well, you had me at nuclear submarine captain. <laughs> yeah. I didn't expect that at all. So what do, what do you hope to gain from Will's knowledge of the payments industry? Well, you know, Will, Will has uh, uh, insights into uh, a lot of different things. And, and aside from being an entrepreneur and, and running a payments um, um, company and things of that nature, um, he also has always been up front in the process of the user experience, right? So it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic because I've always been in the back. And we've always been that back office infrastructure and everything I've done with, whether it was FIS or, or in the beginning of the pre-to-pay days or, or whatever the case may be. And so his um, insights are really critical to help understand, you know, the, the challenges up front in the market, uh, really on the user side, right? Because those in, in the end translate into requirements and needs on the back end. So we're really a back end wholesale play. Um, that's that's the way we're positioned. So it gives us that unique insight. Yeah. All right. Well, tell me more about yourself, Travis. How did you actually get into the payment sector and what did you do before it? Oh, my. Well, I... Um, <laughs> A long I, story, huh? Yeah, well, I'll try to make it short here. But I... <laughs> I um, been in the payment uh, business for, for over 25 years and <clears throat> really started back in the day of, of the early prepaid uh, world, um, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And so um, before that, I was really in financial services. Um, I had worked for New York Life. I did financial planning for, for companies and so forth. And I, I always loved finance. And I was, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a licensed broker, if you will. Um, so I knew a lot about the financial side on the capital market side. And and so this was a, just an interesting um, venue that I got involved in. And start, it was really a startup back at that point uh, that had to do with prepaid cards and really learned that along the way. Worked with Visa and a joint venture that we had to uh, convert all their traveler's checks back in the day um, over to cards. And that became a uh, whole product in itself. And uh, then we just kind of evolved from there, really. I st stuck with that company, which was uh, originally Wildcard Systems. 
and was that was sold to a company called eFunds, which was then sold to FIS. And and so my last tenure was with FIS about five years ago, where I was the SVP and general manager of the government services um, division. Right. So we, yeah. at that point, back um, during our economics collapse, we were helping the the Federal Reserve and the FDIC. Uh, managed data related to banking, um, along with, unfortunately, um, executing on failed um, FIs during this time frame. Right, right. Okay. But I, I don't want to keep you much longer. I've got a few more questions before we finish. Uh, I'd like us to look at the bigger picture now. So who do you think is doing interesting things in payments right now and perhaps in fintech in general? What's caught your eye? Well, that's a very interesting uh, question. I don't know that it's I've, a broad I mean, question. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that I've quite been asked that, but I will tell you that that I would say what's going on in Europe is is very interesting to me. Um, and what I mean by that is in the EU with the uh, uh, PDS two initiatives. And, you know, while that was P- a right, PSD, yeah, a PDS, yeah, yeah. Um, it was while that was a regulatory, you know, uh, item that that came down and it really has changed the ideology, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, neobanks um, and like Moven and Simple and those guys, uh, they, they, had a, they had a little traction, but I, I would argue that they became more relevant uh, as this came about because you see more and more challenger banks like Sterling um, that's come around and, and really take that no branch approach, if you will. You know, I saw a post the other day where a gentleman say, hey, challenger banks are just still banks. They're just a bank. They just don't have branches, uh, which is true, um, but they're built from the ground up. So they like I was mentioning before, when you build something from the ground up from a technology viewpoint, then you can build it with the right framework to, that meets the market today. You know, the biggest challenge with any technology is that the business evolves away from how technology needs to work. So if you build it in the right way that allows you to modularize and we'll call plug and play or evolve um, to a new business structure uh, as the business changes, then you have a longer life um, without with a lower cost. Right. So mm. so really, I, I really watch a lot of that structure, the new bank structure in Europe, the open API structure, um, you know, here in the U.S., I don't know how quick that would happen simply because it, there would it would literally cam, cannibalize some incumbents in, in the marketplace today. Yeah. And they're not going to want that really, are they? So I, I, I've spoken to a lot of people and, and, and they say one of the biggest things, one of the biggest hurdles for anything happening in that respect in the U.S. is the incumbents, is the, the, the regulation well, you know, regulation's part of it. Regulation, you can pretty much count on it. It used to be five to seven. I think they got a little bit better. Now it's three to five years behind where we're always at. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <clears throat> there's something that that we all seem to forget. And while we can navigate a better product, um, a better, it works better, um, we shouldn't be doing it this way and that way. You know, in the end, he who has the money still wins. So... <laughs> Um, you know, what you do is you'll find those incumbents will evolve to become something slightly different. So that, in my opinion, the fintechs uh, of the world, the, the entrepreneurs, startups, the best positioning there is to 
make yourself a valuable option to the, the bigger incumbents. So they acquire you. And, and with less help collective, a community, we can help you all the industry. Because otherwise it becomes a stalemate. You know, it's a who's fighting who kind of scenario. And you yeah. see a lot more incubator type of approaches, right? MasterCard and Silicon Valley Bank had an incubator. Um, FIS has an incubator. Most all the big guys will have some form of incubator um, that, that, you know, helps see new ideas and new concepts. Well, what's the next step in the evolution of push payments then? Well, you know, I, um, we, we've kind of secured the U.S. And, and that approach and what we're doing. And there's a whole evolution of adoption in itself of real time. And there's different uh, ways of doing that, right? So we've done that from a domestic standpoint. And then internationally, uh, we'll continue to build out. You know, we have nodes uh, around the globe now, and we continue to um, uh, place, you know, the, and I say a node, and that's really kind of a, a regional placement of a platform um, that then allows us to reach to different countries. Uh, as you can imagine, each country has different regulatory uh, guidelines and, and different rules related to customer data and things of that nature, which are, all those things have to come into play. So really, it's our expansion globally and mm-hmm. and what we uh, and, and really to continue to support the market. And we don't really go directly to the businesses today. So we what we do is we offer all the processors and the mobile providers and the banks today that have the customers to be able to offer this functionality. Um, we did not want to compete directly with them. We want to empower them. Now, we, I see it as curving that adoption curve um, because otherwise, if you look at things like the debit card rails and things of that nature, you know, that took good seven to 10 years to materialize. And so you know, I would say a lot of us don't want to see that to uh, wait that long because we need it today uh, and it'll lower our overall cost and and reduce our friction. So that's been our approach all along is really to help everybody else. So we consider ourselves the utility in the business and we're, we're the electrical plug. You just plug in and go. We've done all the heavy lifting and all the hard work for you and make it very simple. It's so simple. Actually, some people go, this is ridiculous how simple it is because we do all the work. We all do all the stuff that everybody else hates to do. Yeah. You have a knack for metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) It really has been a very interesting conversation. And uh, half an hour has gone already. So I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Travis, and for sharing so much about yourself and the company. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Thank you for listening to the Bank Next Fintech podcast. The show was written and produced by Sean Weston for Software Technology Company.